If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. I'm, I'm so excited about this episode because the man joining us today has been acting for over 30 years. You've seen him in movies and TV shows such as Air Force One, Public Enemies, Bombshell with Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and now he's starring in Adam McKay's, gotta just put it out there, Winning Time on HBO, chronicling the rise of the L.A. Lakers in the 80s under owner Dr. Jerry Buss, where he plays the legendary L.A. Lakers broadcaster, Chick Hearn. We'd like to welcome to the show a special guest to the Hoop Dreams podcast. I'm Will Gates. That's Arthur A.G., actor Spencer Garrett. Yes, sir. Spencer G., thanks for joining us, man. Will and Arthur, it's such an honor to be with you cats. I cannot tell you, man. I, I was telling Will... Before you came on, Arthur, uh, I, I'm uh, if if it's if it's the right thing to say, I'm a fan. I you know I I watched the documentary probably ten times. I've seen it. I actually just watched it. It was on about a week and a half ago, and it was playing I think on Showtime, appropriately enough. And it's one of those kind of it's one of those like remote drops. When you see it on, you just kind of put it down. And I just found myself right back absorbed into the story of your lives and how beautifully those guys, those right. filmmakers told it, you know? And uh, so to see you guys now as, as grown men and, you know, living your extraordinary lives and doing this great podcast, uh, it's really a thrill for me, guys. It really is. Hey, Spence, I got to ask, because you've yeah. been in the business for so long, Yeah, you know, you have seen the industry change. What did you see at that point when Hoop Dreams came out in 94? How, what impact it had for us, documentaries being widely, you know, all that bringing in, you know, that whole thing. How did you feel it it, it did for us now? Did it help or was it in a good way? I think it absolutely helped. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge documentary head. I'm a huge documentary watcher. And uh, the, the guys that made your documentary, I mean, they, they, they'd been around for a while and they obviously put you on the map uh, in a very in a wonderful, in an impactful way, uh, back in the day when they did it. How long ago was it now? 20, how many years are we talking? When, 27 when that documentary, years. 27 years. And I mean, that was, a, that documentary was a game changer. Um, and I just, I just remember when it came out and I just remember thinking because it, it took place over a certain amount of years and really watched you yep. guys, it watched you guys grow and evolve and change I don't know if you're familiar with a filmmaker named Michael Apted, a, an English filmmaker. He did a series of documentaries over a period of like 50 years. Um, he chronicled wow. uh, the life of a, 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 of these children and it started, it was called Seven Up uh, when they were seven years old. And then he would revisit them every couple of years until they were in their 60s and 70s. Um, and he followed their lives wow. throughout their entire lives. And this had that same kind of feel to me. I mean, the Hoop Dreams doc, Mm. had that same kind of feel because it really, I mean, it took you inside your lives, inside your homes, inside your heads. 
your your struggles and your triumphs and all of that. It was just yeah. such a such a beautiful moment for filmmaking and filmmakers, and uh, and it really uh, it's it's really one of the my top ten documentary favorites of all time. Um, and so you know, it, to to see you guys now as as men when I'm so used to seeing you mm -hmm. as as these as these boys <laughs> trying to make trying to make your way in the world extraordinary athletes and yeah. you know uh your relationship with your parents uh you in particular your relationship yeah. with your dad you know i mean there was so much so much trial and tribulation and and triumph that was encapsulated in that in that documentary i think it was if i'm not if i'm not uh if i'm not wrong it was like over two two hours right was it a it was a longer how long was the documentary all told was oh it like yeah three? yeah that Two hours and fifty. It, it pushed three, almost close three. To, close to three yeah, hours. Two hours and, and 50, 58 minutes. I could have watched. I could have watched ten hours of it. I mean, I'm sure there was lots and lots of, of, yeah. of footage that didn't make it into the documentary. I could have watched you guys. Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see you. Have those two guys? Have they revisited you? Have they ever done like a follow up with you guys over the years or no? At the 15 yeah. year they did, okay, and that's what's that's what's part of that's added on to the double disc D, uh, C, uh, DVD now. Oh wow! Oh really? I didn't know that. But I've got to get. Okay, I've got to get yeah. that. I want I want to see that. I want to see that. What are you guys doing now? What do you What do you all? Well, before before we get in, <laughs> before we get into that, Spencer, it it ain't about Ag and I. I, I know. Is, I know. Is, this I know. is about. Just, it's about I'm you. I'm so happy to see you guys. <laughs> I feel like I grew up with you guys anyway. I really. Listen, yeah, and, and we are happy to be seen, but okay. but but our audience, I, I mean, got you, you, you I are. Got you. I mean, first of all, for over years, you have been just, you know, I mean, show after show, movies after movies. But before we get into, yeah. in particular, even winning time, we want to talk about your origin story. You know, yeah. where were you born? How did you grow up? What was your neighborhood like? I grew up. I grew up here in Los Angeles. I'm a. I'm a rare bird. I'm a. I'm an actual Angelino. I'm a townie. I grew up here in L.A. Everybody's a transplant from New York, from Chicago, from someplace else. Actually, I was yeah. born and raised here. Uh, my grandparents were actors. They they ran a theater on a showboat, which is probably a word that you're not familiar with. But back in the old days, if you could picture like a giant boat with a paddle wheel. Uh, like Mark yeah. Twain, like mm -hmm. the old days in St. Louis. My mm -hmm. grandparents ran a theater on the Goldenrod Showboat in St. Louis. Uh, and the, it, the theater would go, the boat would go up and down the Mississippi River and they would stop in little towns in the Midwest on the river, like Joplin, St. Joe, Hannibal. And people wow. from the town would come on to the boat and they would do plays and then they would go on to the next town. So those are my grandparents. Uh, Clara Kennedy and Steve Ellsworth, two wonderful actors, character actors, and they raised my mom, uh, Kathleen Nolan, and my aunt, Nancy Devlin. And they were two acting sisters. They both went off to New York. My mom starred in her first Broadway play at 19. She did uh, the original production of Peter Pan on Broadway, which was a big deal back in the time, in 1955. Wow. It was the first broadcast live television show. Uh, my aunt did a lot of theater, and uh, eventually she sort of became a mom and a and a housewife and raised her kids, my cousins. And my mom raised me as a single mom. She and my dad were together. My dad was a talent agent, and uh, mm. they split about after about a year, but they remained very close. But my mom raised me, and so I grew up. Uh, I grew up in L.A., but I also grew up in backstages and in green rooms of theaters 
and, uh, and, and TV studios and movie studios. As a little boy, you know, my mom would be doing a play in Minneapolis or Chicago or Atlanta, and I grew up backstage. Mm-hmm. She tells a story about me when I was a little kid. She was doing a musical in Atlanta, and I was sitting off in the wings with the lighting the lighting designer and the stage manager, and I was so eager to get mm-hmm. out on stage that I would, I, at one point, I ran out onto stage while the chorus girls were dancing, and I wanted to be part of it. So right. I ran out onto the stage while my mom was in the middle of singing a big number, and I remember, and I, she said, I looked up and I said, that's my mom. And and one of the chorus girls picked me up and whisked me off stage. So from a, from a young age, I obviously had the, had the Jones to, uh, to be on stage. I, I, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was a ham from, from a, an early age. So, and here I am, I'm, you know, 50 years later, I'm still a ham. You grew up in the movie, in the, in the movie and TV business. I'm, I I'm did. talking about and, from and in the, in the theater front of the well. camera, back of the camera. I mean, you saw everything firsthand. I did. I saw it firsthand and backstage and, uh, you know, and I also saw from as a kid, I knew what an up and down kind of crazy life it could be. Uh, When I was eight years old, my best friend's mom was a a screenwriter and she wrote a a movie of the week, a two hour movie of the week for television. And there was a role of a young Mm -hmm. German, a young German kid in it. And I uh, and I said, let me audition for it. I can do accents. I was always like doing accents and putting on characters. So I auditioned for it at eight years old and I got cast in it. And I did little little things like that after school specials and uh, and and things like that when I was a little kid. And my mom or my dad, they never discouraged me. I think they were sort of secretly hoping that I wouldn't be an actor, that I would get a real job, as they say, you know. But uh, I, I just I just right. always I just always had that desire to perform and be on stage. And, uh, so that's, that's my background. And then eventually I went to Duke, uh, in, I went to North Carolina and I went to college at Duke in North Carolina. We don't have to talk about the loss last week. It still stings. (laughs) (laughs) It's still, it's still, it still stings guys to lose. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Carolina in Coach K's final game, man. Oh, heartbreaker. But anyway, I left Duke. I, uh, I moved to D.C. for a little bit. Started doing theater in Washington, D.C. Eventually moved to New York. Went to college. Uh, finished college there at Fordham. And then started doing theater in New York. And then, you know, and graduated in 87. Uh, Denzel Washington was uh, a two year, three years ahead of me at Fordham, where I finished. He mm-hmm. was the keynote speaker at my graduation. And when Denzel Washington spoke at your graduation, you listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was sort of the wow. <laughs> that was sort of the impetus for me to go, OK, uh, this dude, he was like the star at Fordham when I was there. And so I wanted to kind of follow in in his footsteps. And so I started I started right out of college, right out of the gate. I went, I went right to work. Spencer, what, what was Denzel the Denzel then? When you say was this was college, right? This was college. I had I graduated in '87. He was the keynote speaker. I want to say he probably graduated in '83, '84, maybe a little bit before that. He's uh, uh-huh. he's four or five years older than I am. But I mean, right out of the gate from Fordham. He got, I mean, he did theater and he got a show called St. Elsewhere that put him on the map right away. So he was already, 
he was already Denzel wow. by the you know in '87. He was already in the he was already in the conversation. He was already you know he was already a bit of a star. So that graduation speech speech did something to you. It did something to me. I mean, he's a hell of a speaker and he's an incredibly inspirational guy. And I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years. Uh, to Lawrence Fishburne, the actor is a, a, a very dear friend and somebody that I consider a brother. And so he introduced me to Denzel years ago. And, uh, you know, he's just, a, he's a powerful guy. He's a powerful cat. And he's also one of our finest actors of all time. And so, uh, you know, like mm -hmm. I said, when, when he speaks, you listen. So in 87, as a 24 year old kid, because I was about three years behind, I should have graduated from Duke in 85, but I took a couple years off. So I graduated at 24. Um, and when Denzel got up and spoke, mm. I went, okay, that's it. I'm going to try to be an actor. And I'm still trying. Wow. I love that. I yeah. love that. So it seems, yeah. Spencer, from early on, um, you wanted to do the work in the business. I'm going yeah. to assume that. But I guess my question for you is, were you interested in other things? I was. When I lived in D.C., uh, I worked for National Public Radio. I worked on Capitol Hill. I was. I think I was kind of quietly resisting jumping headfirst into the acting stuff. I wanted to see if I could do something else with my brain instead of jump into a profession that is, you know, very unpredictable. And like I said, I mean, I watched my mom's fortunes go up and down. Um, she eventually became president of the Screen Actors Guild. She was the first woman president of a labor union, which was a big deal for a woman wow. in the 1970s. And um, but as an as an actor you know as a as a woman actor in the 70s you know you're 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 as a woman anyway in our profession unfortunately your shelf life is pretty mm -hmm. short and so uh i watched mm -hmm. her career rise and fall and rise and fall and a lot of people in my orbit our orbit as a kid growing up with my mom there were a lot of actors around and so i saw how mm -hmm. uh you know how how up and down it could be. Um, but so, so mm. yes, to answer your question, Will, I went to, uh, I worked for NPR, I worked on Capitol Hill. I sort of toyed around with the idea of going into advertising. I tried other things along the way, but the uh, theater kept pulling me back. Um, I wasn't like, I hadn't, I didn't have a desire to jump in and be, oh, I'm gonna be a movie star, I'm gonna be a TV star. I started out doing theater. Right. I really wanted to do theater and, and try my hand and see if I was any good at it. I did it in college. I did it at Duke. Mm -hmm. I went to a performing arts high school in Maine where we did a lot of theater. So I was already, I already had a, uh, a groove on stage. I always felt comfortable in front of an audience, but as a profession. Honing as, them chops, and, buddy. Honing the chops, but I didn't know that I had the chops and I wasn't sure that this was a great way to make a living because I'd seen how unstable and unpredictable it was. But then in about 1987, 87, 88, 89, something like that, I auditioned for a show in New York, got it. It brought me out to L.A. And I'd been waiting tables and tending bar and doing all those things that actors are supposed to do to pay your dues. And I got a gig mm -hmm. that brought me out to L.A. And, uh, and, it, and I kind of thought, all right, maybe I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to stick around for a while. I'm going to stick it out. And I did. And another gig and another gig came. And... It, it, again, it was like this. It was up and down until I finally kind of clicked in up and, down. and started working consistently. You know, here I am. Now, now, since your dad was on the business side of the business, were you learning that 
were you seeing certain things and learning that side of it too? Yeah, I mean, only because in the he sense, represents the artist, right? The talent. He represented a lot of talent. He represented Marilyn Monroe at one point. Uh, he represented a lot of Damn. English clients. Uh, yeah, he started out as a press agent at 20th Century Fox in the 1950s, early 60s. So yeah, Marilyn Monroe was one of his clients. Um, I I learned wow. from him. I learned from him. The other side of the business, I, I guess, in a sense, I learned from my dad's perspective really how hard it was. Because I would sit in his office across from him at his desk, and I would listen to him mm-hmm. field calls from casting directors telling him that the client that had auditioned for the job that he'd sent them in for didn't get the job. And so mm-hmm. there was I, I got the sense, oh, wow, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of rejection in this mm-hmm. business. And so... I learned pretty early on that, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to get on this roller coaster ride, that rejection is part of the part of the gig. And one of my earliest acting teachers said, you have to have the hide of an elephant and the soul of a butterfly in order to be in this business. Mm. You have to have like (laughs) a a heart of a marshmallow, really. um, But you have to have really thick skin or you're not going to make it. Thick skin. Yep. Yeah. Because there's, there, I mean, there's rejection. There's, you don't look this like, you don't look this way for this part. You like, right. what do you mean? I don't look this way for this part. You know, right? A lot right. of rejection and a lot of, you know, just got like you said, thick skin. Like yeah. you being this yeah. in that business, you gotta, man, I audition ten times, but okay, you may get the eleventh. Exactly. Uh, do you know the actor Mark Ruffalo from? Uh, yes. He plays the Hulk in the Marvel movies. Dear old pal of mine, Mark was around doing theater in Los Angeles, probably 10, 10, 12 years, bartending, living in his car, bartending in two different bars. And all while he was doing this, he was doing, honing his craft, doing theater around Los Angeles. He became known as the go-to theater guy in LA. He was constantly (laughs) doing like theater for 25 bucks a show. I mean, like for no money. Wow. And I think he said he auditioned something like 500 times for 500 commercials before he got like a, a an acne cream commercial or something. The 501st <laughs> audition. I mean, he, he was out there putting himself out there like 500 times and 501 was the job that paid his rent for the next six months. So, wow. I mean, that, that's how, that's how insane it is guys. And so yeah. Mark, Mark to me has always been a, a, an inspiration as a guy who never gave up, kept sticking it out just kept grinding away, doing theater. And, you know, I remember even before he and I became friends, I remember people, you know, whispering in the in the air here in L.A., you got to go see this guy, Mark Ruffalo. He's doing a, 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 he's doing a, a, a Shakespeare play at a tiny little theater with 12 seats, wow. you know, at, at midnight uh, for, you know, for 12 bucks a show. I mean, it was that kind of stuff back then, back in the late 80s, early 90s. So that's... Uh, you follow that example as well, as well as the Denzel Washingtons. Mark Ruffalo is somebody who who stuck it out and 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 pursued his dream and pursued his craft. And then uh, a wonderful writer wrote a one act play that he was in that eventually turned into a movie that that springboarded his career. So you never know. You never know. Damn, Spencer, I, I gotta say, you missed your calling on on your other career. Which one? Uh, uh, psychologist to the kids, stars of Hollywood. <laughs> That'll be my next. That'll be my next move. You that'll got all next. the inside information. You could have kept them from all the pitfalls. I could have. I could have. 
I always say if I if I had the sense God gave a donut, I would have done something else. But um, <laughs> yeah, I could I could be a psychologist to, to to budding young actors. I mean, listen, I I teach here in L.A., guys. I teach an acting class here, and so oh, I, I I do. I've been teaching for twelve years uh, at at a school here in Santa Monica, and I always tell my students, uh, and there's some really really talented kids, and I tell them that. You know, 25 years into my acting career, that was going pretty well. Ar- around 2007, the Writers Guild, the Writers Union, went on strike, mm. and they went on strike for six months. <sighs> and I was, I was, uh, I mean, the whole town. Hey there! Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. How did shut down? No movies, television, nothing was getting made. I right. was with a bunch of writer friends. We were, I used to live across the street from Paramount Studios, from the Paramount Gate. And I was walking around in a circle with a picket sign over my shoulder with my fellow writer friends. I'm a big union guy. I'm a, a, a you know, I'm very loyal to my union, and mm-hmm. I love, I love being a part of a union and what it does and how it represents us. Yeah. And I'm carrying this picket sign, and a little voice inside my head. There he is. He said, <laughs> "What are you gonna, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna pay the rent, schmuck?" And so I went back and I went, when I first moved to LA, I worked in a restaurant for about six months and before I got an episode of Star Trek. And that's what kind of got me started. I went back to the same guy, this same restaurant, and I walked in after 22 years and I walked in and I saw the owner of this restaurant and he said, he gave me a big hug and he said, oh dude, I'm so thrilled for you. I see you all the time, movies, TV, you're doing so great. I said, yeah, Larry, that's great. I need a job. (laughs) <laughs> and so no shit and i went and i he said i just fired my maitre d you want to be you want to be a maitre d and i said whatever you need i ran home put on a suit and tie came back after 25 years of being a working actor and i went back and i worked as a maitre d on the on the floor of this restaurant nick's martini lounge and i'm seating people and there's this is like a big industry joint casting directors producers directors coming in and out of this place. And they're seeing me in my mm-hmm. suit and tie all of a sudden, like Spencer Garrett, who has done 150 television shows at this point. And they're walking in and they're saying like, hey man, what are you doing here? And I just said, I'm paying the rent guys. Um, it's work is work. What? You know, it's, it's, it's so crazy to hear you say that because um, you, you hear the stories, but, and, you, and, and, and even in my mind, just hearing you say that, it's like, wow, that's unbelievable. But I guess my question for you is, as an actor, yeah. how did you overcome, I guess, whether people considered it shame or people considered it failure? How, how did you say, you know what, regardless of what y'all think, 
I got to work this gig to keep it going. Right, right. You didn't think a major D was beneath you. No, I would have. I would have tended, but if if I didn't have to learn, it was a martini place where they had three hundred martinis on the menu. And if I wasn't so lazy, I would have learned how to make three hundred martinis. I said, I can I can hold a menu and I can walk you to your table for tw- twelve bucks an hour and a and a free hamburger at the end of the night. I had no, I had right. not, I didn't give it a second thought. I loved it. I lo- I had a I had a blast doing it. Um, when I waited tables in New York before I moved to L.A. I was a terrible waiter. I made up for in in lack of uh, waiter skills with a, a good personality. And I would try mm-hmm. to like today. What's today? Friday. So I'd say, oh, t- today Friday, uh, I'm going to be British. And I'd say, hello, Arthur. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you today, Mister AG. Would, what would you would you like to have the chicken paillade this afternoon? And I, you know, and then two days later, I'd be French or Spanish or whatever. I was just playing characters. I was acting. So to me, when I went back to the restaurant in 2007, it was an acting job. It was a, I was I was playing the role of the maitre d, and I didn't listen to the people that said, hey, "What are you doing here?" Uh, I said, "What are you doing here? You're having a cheeseburger, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm." So I had no problems. With, my did you get a job? Did one? I'm thinking, did you get a job from that? Did somebody come in and say, "Hey, come out and audition tomorrow"? I got a better job from that. I, in the middle of that, I auditioned for a movie called Public Enemies for Michael Mann. It was a big gangster epic with Johnny Depp. And I got that, I got that movie and I, I went to Chicago and I was in Chicago, living in Chicago for four months. We shot all over uh, Chicago. We shot in Joliet. Uh, we shot in Crown Point, Indiana. We shot in, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Aurora, um, mm. Cicero, all over, all over the Chicago area, all of the real places where Dillinger and his gang did their crimes in the 30s. So I got this huge $200 million Universal Studios movie for Michael Mann, who directed, you know, Heat and uh, yeah. classic classic films, Ali. And uh, and whenever you had more than four days off, instead of the production keeping you at the Four Seasons Hotel in Chicago, which didn't suck, they would fly uh-huh. you back home. So I would fly back to L.A., and I'd be home in L.A. for 10 days, and then they'd fly me back to Chicago to do my next chunk of scenes. And, uh-huh. in fact, the, the cat that plays Jerry West on Winning Time was in that movie with me, Jason Jason Clark, who's a, a, a dear wow. friend of mine to this day. We met on Public Enemies. And so I would call from Chicago. I would call the restaurant. I'd call Nick's and say, hey, guys, I'm here in Chicago, but I'm coming home from 10 days. Do you need me on the floor? And so I'd go, really? I'd go home, you know, and I'm making pretty good coin in this Chicago gig. And I'd go back and I'd pick up some more shifts on the floor. So that's how yeah. much I loved it. You know, I thought, oh, I'm going well, to get a free per st- diem. I'm going to get a, some per diem. I'm going to get a martini and a free steak tonight. And so That's right. Why not? Love it. Actors, love we, it. we love, we love free food guys. As, yes. You know, actor, yeah. you, you know, we love a donut. We love a free, yeah. you know, so. Well, listen here, Spencer, man, before we move into your acting career, we got this little thing that AG and I do, man. It's called halftime. Yeah. And what we want to do is we want to throw some quick hitters at you. Okay. And uh we want to see we want to see what you think. So I'm gonna hit you with uh these five first quick hitters. Let, let me see how you bang these out. Okay. Jeopardy or Will of Fortune? Jeopardy. <laughs> All right. Oh, Jeopardy. Yeah. Sherlock, the British version, or another 
great British detective show. Oh, Luke wow. Dunn. Sherlock, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes. Oh, or I love another that. another great British detective show, Luther. Oh, I love Luther with Idris Elba. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Man, that's tough. Can, can, can we can, can we can we do it? Can we call it a tie? I love call both it of those a tie. shoes. Yeah, we can call, call it a tie. Absolutely, let's call that a tie. But yeah, I gotta I gotta give the edge to Luther. That's the first time I became aware of uh, of Idris, and uh, what a powerful what a powerful cat he is. I love his work. But yeah, I gotta go. And Benedict and uh, Martin Freeman in Sherlock. Um, yeah, tie that tie tie goes to the runner on that one. Go to the runner. All right, gotta take you back on this one, man. Yeah. Remington Steel. Or Columbo. Oh, I, I got to go Columbo because I, I got to do a Columbo um, years later after Peter Falk had retired Columbo. Columbo was a show in the 70s. I was a child when it was on. But in the early 90s, he brought it back. And I I had a, uh, I had a, a meeting with him. My agent at the time called me and said, sorry to go on a tangent, but this is a good story. My agent called me and said, you got a meeting with Peter Falk. He wants to see you for a Columbo. They're doing a reboot, a two-hour movie. And and I said, oh, my God, I'm, I've got to meet Peter Falk. And I went in and I I met the director, great British actor named Patrick McGowan, who was directing this, this show that he wanted me in. And I didn't have to audition. It was just a meeting, which was a big deal at the time. Like, I didn't have to, I didn't have to read. I didn't have to hold a script. It was just a sit down. And so the director said, he said, uh, I think I think we found our guy. I think you're going to be our guy. He gets on the phone, pushes a button. He says, "Peter, I think we found our our Roger Gambles was the character's name." Peter Falk walks in. He says, "How you doing, kid? Nice to see you. Uh, welcome to <laughs> welcome to the show." He says, "Pat, let's let's give the kid a drink." And Patrick McGowan reaches into his drawer of his desk, pulls out a bottle of Jameson whiskey, three glasses, pours it into the glass, and he says, "And Peter Falk says, here's to the first shot of the picture." And then we all took a shot of whiskey. And I thought, man, if I could get every job like that, then yes. life is going to be... You'll be golden. I'll be golden. Yes. But, you yes. know, I mean, it only happened the one time. But Columbo all the way, because I, I worked with Peter Falk for three weeks. And that dude's work ethic, bringing revisiting a character that he'd done 25 years earlier. And he he invested every much of his heart and soul into it then as a 75-year-old guy, as he did probably when he was in his late 40s, early 50s shooting that show. I have a right. soft spot in my heart for it, and I love Peter Peter Falk. And uh, all, all due respect to Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele, a great show. I wanted to be Remington Steele. When I, I wanted to be Remington Steele <laughs> with the smarts of Columbo when I was a kid. I love it, Columbo. I love it. Okay. All right, next all right. question. SNL or SCTV? Oh, SCTV. SCTV. Yeah. Martin Short. Martin Short. John Candy. It was more. It it was it was to me, it was smarter and more subversive. I mean, I I I I love the early SNL stuff. I love the Belushi Ackroyd years. I love the Eddie Murray stuff. I mean, each year has had its own kind of impactful players and and seasons, but uh, SCTV was uh, was really original. It was its own thing, and I I loved yeah. I loved Martin Short and Andrea Martin and John Candy. It was this sort of this Canadian alien yeah. thing that sort of descended yeah. upon America, um, much the way Mo- Monty Python did. And who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? 
and a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. I was a huge mm-hmm. Monty Python fan. It had a weird sort of reverence about it that I loved. So SCTV. Now this, this last one, this it's 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 a tough. It's a tough one. I, I oh. has, I, yeah, I, I had a tough one with this one. A team or Magnum PI. Oh, Magnum PI, Magnum PI, uh, Magnum PI story. My mom did two episodes of Magnum PI. <laughs> I got to go what? with her to Hawaii when I was little. The first time she shot a Magnum PI, she played his girlfriend on one mm-hmm. episode, and then. Wow. The sec- and then the second time, if you Google her, Google when we're off the air, go Google Kathleen Nolan and you'll see like okay. a really beautiful, beautiful redhead. Kathleen with a K, N-O-L-A-N. <laughs> beautiful redhead. My mom. Amazing. She's she's a, she's still beautiful. She's 89. She's going to outlive us all. Um, wow. And so, yeah, so she did two magnums. The second time she went back, I wasn't with her and she ended up going hiking with her boyfriend at the time. They got lost in the woods in the in the mountains of in the mountains of Hawaii, and they ended up having to get rescued by a helicopter. They were pulled off the mountain in uh, in, in in one of those basket things. And I, at the time, I was sitting at home. I was at my dad's house, and I heard on the television, Screen Actors Guild President Kathleen Nolan is in Hawaii doing Magnum PI, and she was just rescued off of a mountain by a helicopter. Um, wow. I mean, how, how many times does that happen to you? And I was like, oh, my God, you know, mom. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I was probably, I don't know, 17, 18 or something at the time. So, wow. uh, yeah, that doesn't happen all the time. So uh, she got she was doing a, a second Magna P.I. And uh, and she ended up being late for work. So I, I worked with Tom Selleck on something years ago. And Tom Selleck said, yeah, your mom did two of those shows. And. And uh, she went off with her boyfriend and got stuck in the woods and held up production for two days. She, says, she owes me. She owes me money. I mean, he was being funny about it. But, yeah. That's crazy. Right, so Magna PI. Give me your three favorite Duke Blue Devil basketball players. Jay Williams, uh, Grant, and and I'm going to go JJ Redick. There was something about okay. JJ's. JJ had a shot that was just. He was. He was good looking and fast and just had such a beautiful, beautiful stroke. He was fun to watch. Um, I saw him on something the other night. I saw him on Bomani Jones's show. Uh, No, he was on Bob Costa's show on HBO. He was on with Bomani. He's turning into a really interesting commentary commentator, but Mm. JJ had a great career, but I loved, I loved Grant Hill, man. I mean, those guys, Grant and Leitner and Hurley and Wojo, those guys came after I left Duke. I was there in 81 I was there during, you know, Gene Banks, Vince Taylor, Mike Jaminski, a different before they really different rose era. into it in different era before they it was it's Coach K's first several years there before they turned into right. a dynasty. They really got hot in the late 80s, early 90s, obviously. But uh, and I remember yeah. when I was working in that restaurant in 2007, Grant Hill walked in to the restaurant and I was the maitre d' and he's like, oh, my God, he's like. Hey man, I just saw you on Law and Order the other night, and I'm like, "You're Grant Hill." And I said, "Can I give you? Can I give you a hug?" I said, I, "Like I was such, you know." And he was so cool to me, and I've seen him several times. I actually went back to see uh, two of Coach K's last games in Cameron, uh, and Grant Ooh, was oh, there, wow. and uh, and he's just a super cool guy. And then Jason Williams, who is who is such a great 
great, great player for Duke and had that stupid motorcycle accident that cut everything yeah. short, but oh, he was yeah. beautiful to watch. I mean, look, it's a, it's a long list. I mean, there's so many terrific players, but I'd say those guys are yeah. probably my top three. Yeah. Oh. You can't go wrong with that at all. Yeah. So acting is probably taking you all over everywhere. What were your, or what are your three favorite cities uh, you lived in while filming and what you like about them? Chicago. Chicago, Chicago, right. Chicago. Uh, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because you guys. Uh, right. Chicago was a blast. It was, uh, my dad grew up in Quincy, Illinois, downstate. Uh, really? Quincy and, and Joliet. But when I got Public Enemies, it was really my first time visiting Chicago. And I was there in, mm. I, I got there in like November and I was there until May. And I never, I thought wow. I knew, I went to high school in May in Maine. I thought I knew what cold was. I didn't know what cold <laughs> was. And I didn't, I mean, it was cold. It would cut you like a razor, you know, walking along the, you know, the lake. And I remember going to the production office and the wardrobe lady gave us all these big puffy, North Face coats, uh, they gave all the cast members. And I remember thinking, oh, come on, it's not that cold. It was cold. Uh, but I but I love Chicago. We lived, we lived, we stayed around the corner from uh, Gibson's. So, we, you know, it was a very kind of bro -y oh, yeah. cast. So it was a lot of dudes. So we would go out. Yeah. It was a lot of like carousing and fun. And it was great to be with Johnny. We shot in Appleton, Wisconsin, all over the place. But Chicago was great for four and a half, five months. Um, I've done two movies in Thailand. Uh, wow. I did one, I did, uh, I, a movie in, uh, Bangkok, Thailand and a movie in the South of Thailand had great experiences. did a movie with Owen Wilson there and Pierce Brosnan, mm. uh, about five years ago. Mm. And then I did a movie for Michael Mann, uh, another movie for Michael Mann who, who directed public enemies. We did a movie called black mm. hat with Viola Davis and Chris Hemsworth. And we were in Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia. We were in Jakarta, Shanghai. So those are some of the perks, wow. man. Sometimes you get to be the, you know, you get to go to some really cool places. And then I work in Atlanta yeah. a lot, which I, I, Atlanta has kind of become Hollywood South. So I work in Atlanta a lot. Um, yeah. And I love, uh, New York is my second home. So I love going back home and working in New York, doing law and order, stuff like that. I'm actually going back next month. I'm going back to New York to do a play, uh, for a couple of months, which is something I haven't done for a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. Man, you got an extensive resume. Now, absolutely, look, you got an extensive resume. So, uh, this is my next question: Is there a role you read for and really wanted but didn't get? Probably, probably fifty. Um, and wow. going back to the, I mean, you know, going back to the rejection thing. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I was in the running for that I really, really wanted, and. You know, you after once you get over that initial heartbreak and the rejection, yeah, you just you gotta you gotta take the now I go in to read for something and I take the script and put put in the circular file on my way out the door. You can't think about it too much because you you hope that another one's gonna come along the next day. Right. Um, yeah, probably guys. There are probably a lot of roles that but I I've I, I have happily I've forgotten them. Uh but there's probably a lot of roles that I read for that I that I didn't get. But there's a lot of roles that I did. So I'm great. I'm grateful for that. You know, I got two behind me. I got the Tarantino film and that's me playing Sean yeah. Hannity in bombshell. Uh, I've got, I've been very, I've been very lucky. I've been, I've, I've got to do a lot of good, good stuff. So I'm, I feel very fortunate. You know what you, what you just said just reminds me of what we tell athletes. Hey yeah. man, you got to forget that last miss. <laughs> you that's can't it. stay there. You that's gotta it. Keep, you got, Hey, that's over with. 
So yeah. my next question for you are, are you one of those actors that got to have certain things in your dressing room? And if so, what is it? When I got the gig, I I went online. I bought every kind of Chick Hearn memorabilia I could find. So I got a Chick Hearn jersey. I got Chick Hearn mm. t-shirts. I have, you know, you call them, they're like talismans. They're like little, little things. Yeah. So when I'm in a dressing room, when I'm in my trailer on set, I've got all my little Chick things. And I've right. got a great... I got a great picture of him uh, that I have on my dressing room mirror. So yeah. as I'm, you know, they put the makeup on. If you've seen yeah. me in the show, you know, I don't look anything like this. I'm in full right. prosthetics, three hours of makeup to put the nose, the hair, wow. the cheeks, the chin, all of wow. that. So once all of that is on my face and I become Chick Hearn, I go into the trailer and I see the pictures of him. And then I uh -huh. turn on the headphones and I listen to him and I get him in my voice. And I got to a point after a certain time I could, I would turn, turn on a, a Lakers game on YouTube and I would turn the sound down and I would just be calling the games without the sound as Chick Hearn, just in my trailer, just to, just to get that in my body, just to feel that. And then yeah. I would walk onto the soundstage and all of a sudden I'm talking like this and it's magic to Kareem. You know, the game is in the <laughs> yes, refrigerator, yes. the lights are out, the door is closed, the jello is jiggling. So... <laughs> I love Did it. You guys, I love are, it. You, you guys, you guys knew who Chick was, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I mean, like all of his, all of his catchphrases, all of his Chickisms. Yeah. The mustard is off the hot dog. Uh, yeah, all yeah. of them. But uh, somebody said, uh, so many people asked me on Twitter, um, are are we going to hear the game is in the refrigerator, the lights are out, the jello, the door is closed, the butter's cooling, the eggs are getting hard, and the jello is jiggling. And I said, you are going to hear it a lot. Uh, yeah the mustard is off the hot dog we got we got I, he had like 200 of them i mean he called yeah. 3338 games over 41 years the man was incredibly prolific so yeah. uh this is here I, I thought i'd show you guys this if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive Bottom at participating McDonald's. You get a kick out of this. This is John C. Riley, national treasure John C. Riley, who plays Jerry Buss. This was uh, his rap gift to all of us. He gave all of us uh 1979 Lakers championship ring. And inside wow. there you can't see it. And it says uh Spencer Garrett, Chick Hearn. But he had these made for all of the cast members. Pretty cool. So wow, really? that's that's going on my dressing room table. Oh, I wear yeah. this. I wear this on the show as Chick Hearn. I wear I wear wow. a, a prop version of this. This is my this is my okay. gift from John. But uh, so this is going to go on my dressing room table. Uh, you know, just little things to remind you of uh, wh why we why we love doing it. Right, right, yeah. Now, when you, I know you, you know you're in the business. So, who are some of your favorite actors to watch as a fan? Oh gosh, I love. Uh, I mean, my first big movie movie was uh, Air Force One. So Harrison Ford, I gotta say. Uh, I love Meryl Streep. I love, uh, wow. uh, gosh, P Peter Falk, um, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Gene Hackman, Robert Duvall. Uh, mm. I got, I, I got to give it to, uh, to my man, Fish, Fishburne, who's been a, a role model and an inspiration to me. Um, certainly Denzel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, uh, I, I think I mentioned Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, even going back to the early days, uh, Spencer Tracy, who was, you guys, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the name. He was mm -hmm. my namesake um, 
one of the greatest actors of all time, one of the greatest film actors of all time. So he's a big inspiration to me. So, um, yeah, I'm also just a huge movie junkie. So going back and watching Turner classic movies and the old black and white Mm -hmm. stuff. And I love French films and Italian films. And so there's a lot of French actors that I love. Uh, Marcello Mastroianni, great Italian actor. Uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo, great French actor. You, I learn a lot from other, you know, from other cultures and other, other filmmakers as well. So, uh, I love American films, but I also love Japanese and Italian and German films and all of it. So, I, I mean, I grew up watching all that stuff. I would come home from school and I would turn on the TV while my mom was off on a set somewhere and I'd, and I'd watch movies all day. So it's not, wow. not that surprising that, uh, that I ended up in this circus. Well, what you do? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. No, I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle, earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison. Your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me. I'm all for going there again. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Hoop Dreams the Podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Written and produced by Arthur Agee, Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming for it all, best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.